Welcome to the Faily Tale Show. I'm your host and curator of fails, Akash Manthar. In this show, we have conversations with our very accomplished guests about their tales of fails. Let's jump right in and start learning from the collective failures of humanity, because it's story time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Faily Tale Show. Joining us today to share their tale of fail is Gautam Palapa. Gautam has worn so many different hats over the years that I've started to lose count. I first met him in college in 2003, where he was an associate professor of computer science. Uh, he led the creation of a Linux user group called VR Linux that we were both founding members in. Since then, he moved to the States for his PhD and has worked in digital transformation of companies since then. Gautam is also an executive advisor and drives people transformation by helping leaders lead with empathy. Gotham's transformity goal is transforming humanity through empathy and technology. Gotham is also the author of the book called Leading with Empathy. Welcome to the show, Gotham. Thank you for having me, Akash. And that gave me a huge nostalgic blast from the past, especially when you mentioned VR Linux. Those were some great times that we had out there. Absolutely, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for coming up with the idea to give us an opportunity of doing such cool things in college. Great. It's awesome. For the record, Gautam was one of the coolest professors we had, or coolest assistant professors we had in our college. Oh, thank you. That's, that's very kind of you, Akash. I had a lot of fun teaching, um, providing an avenue for all of you to learn and embrace different technologies. So I'm glad I could just move the needle a little bit. Oh, you definitely did that. So this show is all about fails. What fails do you have for us today? So I thought in the spirit of this particular podcast, I would share a personal fail of mine. And then I bring in some kind of an inspirational story that tell people or, or share with people that just because we have a failure or an unexpected outcome doesn't mean that we're going to be dejected or lose hope. And there is always ways to capitalize on it. So um, the first fail that I'm going to talk about is a personal one. And this is early on in my career. I joined software and IT and grew up through the ranks pretty quickly um, and well. Uh, I was I was very lucky to have a lot of mentors, and one of the things that I decided to do early on was take on the mantle of techno management because I started realizing that there were not many people who were technologists in the management roles. A lot of people were managers, but they were people managers, and so I, I thought I would throw my name in the hat and decided to go and become a manager. And luckily, uh, I had champions and allowed them to. Uh, they uh, they allowed me the opportunity to become a manager. And now, being a naive manager at that time and not really understanding a lot of leadership and management and so on in those days, I found myself performing two specific errors early on. The first one was when we were assessing and giving an estimation of how much a project would be or how much a task would be. And this was during the early times of Jira and story points and all those various things. And what I started doing without my knowledge was I started gauging or estimating how much it would take 
based on how I would have done it or how long it would take for me to do it. And that caused a lot of concern with my teams because they felt they were strapped for time in many cases. And so one of my uh, team members came up to me during one-on-one and said, hey, can I, can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah. There were, and then the question was, why do you always short changes? Why do you provide deadlines that are so short? And I was like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I'm just, I, I think I'm giving you enough and I'm padding about 10 to 15%. I am providing feedback, uh, providing some uh, gaps to deliver. And they were like, you're basing it upon how long you think you are going to do it, but you're not as understanding or relating to the speed of others, the velocity of others. So you're kind of undermining us and putting us in a bad situation. So that was uh, a great fail. That is something that I learned really hard to take into consideration. And this is where, again, the empathy portion comes in, that I really need to understand where people are coming from and what their speed is, what their um, level of comfort, their comfort level is in order to gauge it. And then after this, because I had just been promoted as a manager, one of the things I was missing was actual coding. And so when a particular feature was done, I used to go in, do a code review. And as we were doing the code review, I used to jump in and optimize the code because I felt that it could be done so much better. And what I realized out there was that I was failing as a leader and as a manager because I was completely undermining the effort and the hard work that the entire team was doing. I was overriding everything that they did. And so those th- that was a big personal failure. These two things made me realize uh, a very strong personal motive in my life. Um, and this is something that I abide by now, which is if I as a leader can clearly articulate the why, that is the business outcome and the definition of done for anything that it could be. It could be a feature, it could be a story, it could be a strategic outcome, whatever it is. But if I can clearly articulate the why, then as a leader, I must never second guess the how and ensure that I am enabling the teams to achieve and be successful at the business outcome. So that is one of my personal failures I uh, learned early on in my life that has stuck with me. And I, I, I'm i very grateful to the team member who came and was bold and courageous enough to actually question the supervisor and say, why are you doing this particular thing? And that has stuck with me for a long time. So that's one of the personal st- failures that I think uh, I, I, I want to share and which I feel has really changed the way I look at things. It is, it's a very important failure that you share uh, because it's very easy to fall into this trap as a new people manager where you want to kind of show your worth, you want to have this outsized impact uh, that we sometimes forget that we're here to really empower the team and to help them get better. And it's not perfect from day one. Uh, It iteratively gets better. I had similar lessons early on in my career, um, but what struck me later on was 
what's really important is aligned autonomy. As you were saying, defining the why and the what and making sure the team understands that and giving them the autonomy to execute on that uh, is extremely important. Your team member came and called you out on this one, but like immediately did the light bulb go off as to what am I doing or how did you come up to a place where you were now doing what you're doing? What was the narrative? Like, I, I wish I could say, oh, yes, I got the aha moment and the light bulb came on. But um, to be extremely candid and transparent, being a new manager, I, I still remember very vividly that my first response was to be defensive and to justify and say, no, I'm actually doing the right thing. And this is why. And I started giving reasons um, and trying to justify things. And to, to his credit, the team member listened and then um, said, I get it. These are all very powerful, important reasons that you're trying to give me, but I'd like you to reflect upon it. And that is a technique that I learned from this team member is to pause. And I, I like to call this verbal diarrhea, right? We get defensive, we may immediately kick in um, a different part of our brain and we want to justify and prove that we're actually doing the right thing. But instead, what I've started to realize and which, which I do even today is accept all the input, accept all the feedback, and then contemplate upon it, take time to digest everything and put myself in other people's shoes. And this is, this is where um, I've, I've become very passionate about empathy. Uh, for me, it's all about putting, putting myself in other people's shoes. So there are so many of these events that occurred um, a, early on in my career where I started realizing that introspection is really, really important for us. And we don't have to give a response immediately. And that um, combined with this other technique, which is called as impact feedback. Um, so as soon as you hear something, you tell the other person, you give feedback to the other person by asking for permission to give feedback. And then you give them feedback and say, you narrate what you observed from your perspective and explain how it made you feel and not expecting any actions, any justification, any defensive behavior out of it is something that I've learned really well, uh, that has worked really well for me. So, so that, that is something that I learned. It wasn't an aha moment, but it helped me change my behavior towards all my teams since then. Interesting. Could, could you elaborate a little bit more on the impact feedback one? I think there's a really good learning over there. Is it an example? Yeah, sure. And this is one of my this is one of my favorite kinds of of feedback, right? Um, so let's say that something occurs. Um, I'll, I'll take an example where um, I put myself in it, and let's say early on, it would not be uncommon for people to see me be in a room and try to prove that I'm the smartest person in the room out there. And this is very common to rock star developers or people who are very passionate about the technologies that they have it. And so when someone else, let's say you, Akash, you um, observe this kind of behavior, you then meet me and say, um, Gautam, I would like to give you some kind of feedback. Is it okay? So there you're giving permission for um, the other person to take feedback, to first think, 
consciously whether they want to hear what the other person is saying or not. And if it is a no, then it's a no. That's fine. But when the other person is in the receiving state of mind, that's when, uh, Akash, you would probably say, when you were at the whiteboard and saying this particular thing and trying to poke holes through a strategy that someone else had worked for over eight months on, it made me feel like you are not really appreciating all the hard work that has gone into it. I wanted to let you know that. And you stopped it. So at that point, you're giving feedback. You're telling how it made you feel. But you're not expecting anything back in return. And so it is up to the person who is getting it. In this case, it would be me to digest that information, that feedback, and think about it and try to process it appropriately. I see. Yeah, no, makes makes a lot of sense. I'm going to try to do that going forward. I think the most important part is just let the other person know how you feel and let it be at that. Yes. Very cool. So this was the personal failure. You said you also had a failure around a team. Do you want to go into that one? Oh, yeah. Um, and and again, I've, I've picked one of them because I feel this is like one of the best examples of how we capitalized on a particular failure and we converted it into a huge win. So this, I fondly remember this as the time when we opened a $7,000 bottle of bourbon and celebrated with cigars with the team. So let me, let me set it up. Um, I had recently been brought in to perform an enterprise transformation in one of the organizations. And I'd taken on this team. And a previous team, th there, was a, there was a strategic initiative where this organization had to move the legacy middleware over to a different cloud-native solution. There was a previous team that had actually done it, and they had failed for about seven to eight months. They... Uh, refused to take help from anyone else. They said that they would do it, and um, but they didn't. And then finally, they gave up. And in true enterprise fashion, they tossed it over to us um, and said, "You're it." And I remember this really well because the day that they tossed it over to us was December twenty second, and the deadline to push this into production did not change. And so we had to like really scramble and figure out how we could do it, how we can convert this. And so we had to rethink and reimagine the way that we had to do everything. So the first thing that I did for my team is I identified a small group of change agents, so people who are really passionate, who really wanted to change it. Um, it was uh, four developers and testers and then one product, uh, one, uh, product manager. That was that was pretty much it, and I was the executive sponsor, and I said that I would play, uh, I would give all the air cover that is needed. I called them in. We had an initial meeting, and I told them, "Listen, I want to make sure that you celebrate your Christmas and your New Year with your family because that is really important. Uh, family is much more important than work, so this can wait." So. Even though we were running behind, I said to them, "Don't worry about this. We will we will put together a plan." And we started working after the, after New Year's Day, um, Jan fourth, I think, is when we started. And one of the things. Um, go ahead, Akash. I was just wondering what what was the deadline. 
the deadline was March of oh. the next year. So, you know, it's a team tried it for about eight months and they they really failed miserably. I really wish that they had enough amount of psychological safety to raise their hand and say that they were failing and they needed help. But you know how it is in a lot of organizations, especially um, toxic, uh, pathological or bureaucratic organizations, that is not a comfort or a luxury that people have. Um, so anyways, we started on Jan, Jan uh, 4th and um, we knew we had to do something differently. So I had a hypothesis and I said that if I can take this for a small team and I can have them focus on some experiment that has nothing to do with the problem at hand, I can quickly have the team form, uh, storm, and norm, and then use that momentum into the actual problem, then they could perform really, really well. And I had uh, estimated that um, having them focus on this particular thing, they would increase their momentum by about 15, 20%. And so we should be able to at least go into dev test uh, by by March, and you know, have some saving grace, and immediately have a quick turnaround into production. So that was the that was the experiment that I ran. Uh, I told the team that we are going to have one week iterations. We're going to run a lean experiment, and we're going to focus on something that has nothing to do with the problem, only because we want to get into the rhythm, into the mood, into the mood of actually performing extremely fast. So we formed the team. We ran the experiment. Um, and we ran it for two iterations. So we did it for two weeks. We achieved a lot in that. We actually filed a patent within those two weeks um, on the thing that we were working on, and everyone had a lot of fun. And so we took all that momentum and put it onto this problem where we had to move the legacy middleware onto a cloud native app uh, platform. And so we went full steam ahead. We still went one week iterations. We ran over 27 lean experiments. And I am so super proud that um, there, we went into the dev environment within 12 days. It was record breaking. Uh, that no one had ever heard of that having happened. So 12 days, we were in the dev environment. We had focused on a lot of TDD testing, pipeline, CICD, automation, all the good stuff. Um, so Lean, Agile, and DevOps were like the biggest proponents of these things uh, that were driving the momentum. And then we had a release pipeline in six days. And the, the beauty of this is that within the next 18 days, so, so 12 days dev, six days release pipelines, and then 18 days later, we were in production in uh, HA, so two geographical sites. We were having it running in production. And this was like a huge feat. The team had so much of a morale boost. People were happy. Uh, there was a lot of learning that we had out of it. We ran so many experiments um, and people were comfortable. They were ready to kill an experiment when things were not doing uh, well, or we were able to pivot to persevere as needed so quickly. And that made uh, me realize that the failure of a team can be validated learning for the entire organization. And that is something that I promote very well. I celebrate failure a lot. And so we we did things that never could. We beat it. We were in uh, production in end of February. 
And so that was amazing. We beat the deadline. And so I took the team out. We opened a $7,000 bottle of bourbon. We smoked cigars and celebrated all of it. And for anyone who's a bourbon aficionado, this is A.H. Ursh uh, Reserve. Uh, it's, it's around $7,000. And it's, it's one of the best bourbons that I've had so far. Nice. I had never heard about it. So good to know. Uh, so was this the same set of engineers or was this a completely different team? This, this was a completely different team compared to my first uh, failure, right? At the, in this, I was, I was already um, in a leadership role and I, I was brought in to do a transformation. So it's a very different team. New team, they didn't know much about me. I think I'd taken over the team, I want to say about 15, 20 days. So we were still learning each other and they still didn't know all my crazy ways. Um, so it was different. Yeah, I meant compared to the team who had thrown it over to the fence, thrown it over the fence. Like, was it the same set of folks, same set of engineers or different set of engineers? Oh, it was very different. It was, uh, it was different. Okay. Cool. And, and why do you think the transformation happened? Like, what, were, what led to this change where a team could not do it for seven, eight months and a new team kind of like formed, stormed and normed together and was able to deliver it within two months? I think the first thing was that the team understood where I was coming from. I clearly articulated what the business outcome was supposed to be, what the definition of success is, how we are going to measure it. I also emphasized on the fact that I would be running air cover and interference wherever needed, and I would create that container for psychological safety for the team. I also openly said that I am already expecting about 60 to 65% of these experiments to fail. So I'm giving them permission to fail as much as they want. And I think that made them relax a little bit more. They were able to take more risks. And because they were able to take more risks, they were able to innovate. It was also a really small team. So there was very quick bonding, uh, trust and collaboration just built very quickly. and they knew that they all had one singular focus, one outcome that they need to achieve towards, and they were passionate about it. And there were no distractions. I isolated them from most of the meetings. They, uh, the product manager was going to be the proxy to go in and do all the meetings. I created a different uh, collaboration space for them where they could innovate and do all these things. So it was a very niche isolated team where their sole focus was this. And I also want to believe that they were much more relaxed because they knew that I really meant it when I said I want them to have a work-life balance. Because even though we had short deadlines, I insisted that they have to have their holidays with their family. So I think all of these put together really helped them be excited about this particular thing and break every single record that we had within that organization. And it became an exemplar story. It's a story that, um, that they built upon later. That is very exciting. Yeah, sometimes uh, we get hung up on correctness and having the permission to be wrong and to fail is uh, very important because that's when I think true learning can happen. Otherwise, all we try doing is try to be correct and spend so much energy trying to be correct. Yeah, of course. And I, uh, so there are two things that I, uh, that I would add to that, Akash, because you bring up an interesting thing. First thing is language. 
a lot of leaders or a lot of people in positions of power and titles, they tend to emphasize and use verbiage such as failure is not an option or it has to be 100% uptime or you cannot fail or things like that. In reality, perfection or, or the inability to fail is like the horizon. You can only aspire towards it, but you can never achieve it. And that's something I think leaders need to recognize and understand that you will always fail and you can never learn if you do not fail. We would probably never learn to swim or ride a bicycle if we didn't fall down. And so giving that permission to fail is really, really important and it helps people relax. And um, so uh, that, that reminds me of another thing. My, my four uh, engineers and developers, right, um, on this particular team, being engineers, one of them, the lead, the lead guy, he was tracking his blood pressure at that time. Um, and it was always at the stress level. He was at hypertension two, uh, hypertension one, I think. And then he was tracking it on a day-to-day -day basis. And even though it was so hectic and it was so continuous, the work, he showed later that his hypertension actually reduced. He was having much more fun in spite of a hectic schedule because he really believed in it. He was passionate about this. And he felt relaxed and had that psychological safety to fail. So there is something to it. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I think it's important to have a small group of people working together towards this common goal, iterating towards it, and being willing to fail and learn. Something really powerful and something really beautiful whenever it happens. doesn't happen all the time, but when you can make it happen, it's like magic. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think... To assume that it's going to happen always is naive. I think there are so many uh, variables that in play, especially because we as humans are very non-discrete, non-deterministic organisms. And so it's very hard to predict how we behave. Um, the team dynamics is different. But I do believe that as a leader, if one can create that safe space or that container where people can be fully themselves and express, uh, experience all their emotions 100%, then magic can happen. Awesome. With that, uh, I think we should start wrapping up this episode. Any final words of wisdom for our listeners? I would say embrace your failures and celebrate your failures. That is really important. And as a leader, I... The, the more openly and the more candidly you do this, the better it will be so that you can signal that you're also human and you are providing that psychological safety for your organization. So embracing and celebrating failure is one of the key ways by which you can transform an organization. With that, uh, we'll call this episode. Thank you so much, Gautam, for your time. Uh, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fail ETL Show. Until next time, keep learning.